0: Podcast. My name is Patricia Caicedo, I'm in Barcelona, and today our guest is Dr. Walter Clark. He is a musicologist, a professor of the University of California, Riverside, and the director of the Center for Iberian and Latin American Music. Welcome, Dr. Clark.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It's both a privilege and a great pleasure.
0: So you are a good friend of our podcast.
1: Yes, I am. A real fan.
0: You, and this is the second time you are here, and I hope you will be with us many more times. But today we are devoting this space to Mm -hmm. one of the most um, important composers, Spanish composers of the 20th century, Joaquin Rodrigo.
1: Yes.
0: So you are now working in his biography.
1: Yes, I've made a career of writing biographies of Spanish composers, starting with Isaac Albéniz and then Enrique Granados, and that biography you translated beautifully into Spanish for publication in Spain. Then I co-authored a biography of uh, Federico Moreno Torroba with my good friend, Bill Kraus, which is um, soon to appear in Spanish translation by Luis Gago, uh, published by ICMU. And uh, then I wrote a book about uh, Los Romeros, the very famous uh, family of Spanish guitarists. And my final biography is of uh, Joaquín Rodrigo. I'm writing this in collaboration with my good friend, the distinguished musicologist Javier Suárez Pajares. I'm I hope also- it's not your
0: your last biography. Well,
1: thank you, but. <laughs> I've, I may have reached the end of the road with biographies, but there are always more things to explore in this world. But uh, so he and I are co-authoring a biography, the very first complete biography of the composer in English, and it will be published by Norton in New York. And I am also putting the finishing touches now on a uh, a book for Routledge entitled Joaquin Rodrigo, a Research and Information Guide. They have a series of bio-bibliographies that I have contributed to before. I did one on Isaac Albenez, and now I'm doing one on uh, Rodrigo, and that will appear in May. So- um, Great,
0: you will provide all the tools. I mean, the biography, but also some practical tools for people- Exactly. Going deeper into-
1: And just so that people know, uh, I've also just contributed uh, an annotated bibliography to the uh, Oxford University Press online bibliographies, so that will also be available. Um, The beauty of online bibliographies is that they can be updated over time.
0: Yes, you can revisit and update it all the time.
1: So I'm, I'm doing my best to contribute to our collective knowledge in this area. I um, have been playing Spanish music uh, since I was a teenager, I was, uh, studying the guitar. When I was 14, I fell in love with uh, Spanish music. And so I you write. you have
0: devoted all your life to it?
1: Yes, más o menos, more or less. But uh, the other thing is that I write these books not because I'm an expert, I want to become an expert, I want to learn more. That's a
0: beautiful attitude. I mean, that's the, the we are eternal students, so we are we are
1: eternal students. So in I, the may have the title, I may have the title of professor, but I'm I'm just a glorified student. That's all.
0: so. Today we will just go right in to talk about Joaquin Rodrigo, and one yeah. of the, you mentioning all these biographies you have written about different Spanish composers that are sometimes related in t- in the same. They coexist in the same period at some point, or they they cross. So, I, mm-hmm. I'm sure you have this overview. This is a scope right. uh, that learning about one composer also touches the life of another. Another. So you mm-hmm. see this. You have this view that is very very open and.
2: I wanted to
1: understand the last century or so of of great spanish music so i started with Albéniz, who so was born in 1860 and i then i um have continued my research through um other composers and style periods and uh, and i'm finishing with uh, rodrigo so this is you know basically um, a century or over a century. yes it's basically a century of great spanish music I wanted to understand it better, and since people make music, then the way to understand the music is to learn more about the people who have made it. Uh, people and make the, it; it doesn't exist. The yeah. context,
0: history, and the sociological, historical, economical—all mm-hmm. the factors that yes. determine the musical Absolutely. life of a country or. A
1: country. This is right. This is everything has a context, and so I have. Um, enjoyed deepening my understanding of Spanish history um, in order to place these composers in their music in its proper context. And it's a, it's a great pleasure. It's endlessly fascinating to me.
0: So in which year was born our composer of today, Joaquin Rodrigo, yeah. and where?
1: Joaquin Rodrigo was born on November 22nd,
0: 1901. Some oh, the Santa Cecilia Isaiah. And
1: November 22nd is the feast day of St. Cecilia, who is the patron saint of music. Oh. So, uh, Rodrigo came into the world just as uh, Queen Victoria was leaving it.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: And where was he born? In which city? And He was born in the province of Valencia in an ancient uh, city called Sagunto,
2: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: which had been a um, a thriving commercial center already in the ancient world, and especially during the Roman empire. And, um, there are Roman ruins there today. So he grew up surrounded by history. His father was a landowner and in the upper middle class and also a local, um, tax collector. So, um, he, He grew up in comfortable circumstances. He wanted for nothing. Now, what happened um, to little Joaquin that would uh, have such a great influence on on the rest of his life is that when he was three, he contracted diphtheria, a kind of diphtheria that affected his eyesight. And over time, he became completely blind. He so wasn't for
0: how old. long was he able to see just a bit?
1: Well, he could make out sort of shapes and, and areas of light and shade uh, for several years after losing his uh, eyesight. But by the time he was an adult, he was completely blind. Now, <clears throat> his father could afford to hire an assistant to help him.
0: So they have the means to educate him even he was a blind kid.
1: That's exactly right. The other thing, the other stroke of luck, you might say, is that when he was still a a boy, the family moved to the provincial capital of Valencia, which is a thriving cultural center and um, such a wonderful city. I love it there. famous for ceramics and silk, and also great music. Uh, Some of Spain's uh, greatest composers, uh, Juan Bautista Gomez and Juan Cabanillas and so on, came from Valencia, were active there. So, but the the good thing about the move to Valencia was that it was also a very progressive center for educating the deaf and blind. They were- that was
0: pure luck.
1: That was pure luck. And there was a school there devoted to educating um, surdos the, the deaf and the blind, and they used some of the latest uh, methods and techniques, pioneering some of their own. They taught him how to play the piano. He learned how to play the violin. He sang. They even taught him music theory, and they were, um, innovative in teaching their uh, students also how to compose music he even learned and and his
0: family had a tradition of playing music or music was part of his family it
1: it wasn't actually a a terribly musical family and the father was not encouraging of young Joaquin's ambitions Um, but nonetheless his talent was so Um, obvious it was irresistible he was he was clearly a child prodigy and uh, he would go on to have a very great career in music and and be a transformative presence on the spanish musical landscape and in fact um his music is renowned around the world
0: so how was uh, uh, do you know how was this the technique for 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 example writing Mm -hmm. and reading music how was it
1: okay so I always think that if if he had been born two centuries earlier, he would have had a much more difficult time. It wouldn't have been impossible. There are examples of great uh, blind composers in the history of Western music. I'm thinking of uh, Landini in the 14th century or um, Cabezón in the 16th century.
0: Um, I didn't know Cabezón was blind too. Yes. Oh.
1: So, you know, it was possible, but fortunately for uh, little Joaquin, he w- he could make use of Braille, uh, a technique that had been invented by a Frenchman in the early 19th century. But there was a, a Spanish variety of Braille invented by a man named Abreu um, that was more precise. But by the time Joaquin was studying music in Valencia. There was Braille not only for reading writing, but also for reading music. Oh. So he could read and write music using this technique of raised dots on a, on a piece of paper. In addition, his assistant would read to him. He he devoured literature. He had a voracious appetite for the written word. He loved novels, poetry, history. He loved the theater. He liked going to the theater. So you he had somebody to...
0: reading to him. Yes. They hired somebody. So they, it, it, you see there how important it is to be raised in an environment where they, where they have the means yes. to- They have to be
1: supportive things. and they have to have the means. Again, had he been born two centuries earlier, his, his career would have taken a much different uh, track. But also if- he had been born into a poor family, my suspicion is that we might not have heard from
0: him. So he started playing violin, piano, etc., singing, being a young yeah. kid. So when he decided, okay, I will become a professional musician, a composer, and what were the steps he took to make that a reality?
1: Well, as I say, his talent was undeniable and, he, he began to compose in his early 20s. Um, some of his earliest pieces come from 1923 when he was 22 years old. And four years after that, he felt that he had basically exhausted the resources that uh, Valencia had to offer him. And so he went to Paris with his assistant to help Not him.
0: The place he went- to go.
1: Yes, that was the place to go. Albania had gone there. Granados had gone there. Turina oh, yeah. had spent time there. Um, All of the, the composers from
0: the Americas also. They went, they went there. On, Later on, they went to study with Nadia Boulanger. Everybody was studying yeah. with
1: her. Aaron Copland. It was the Mecca. It was the place you went to study music. Because in the 1920s, Paris was the, the cultural capital of Europe um, and the European world. So that is where he went. Um, he didn't speak much French, but he had a gift for language and he acquired it fairly quickly. Um, he wanted to study with Maurice Ravel. Ravel was his hero, <laughs> but Ravel was no longer giving music lessons, composition oh. lessons to people. So he was advised to um, talk to Paul Ducat, the famous, uh, mm-hmm. sorcerer, sorcerer's apprentice and, and many other wonderful works. So he actually called on Paul Ducat and, um, impressed him with his talent. Ducat invited him to join his composition class at the Ecole Normale du Musique, mm-hmm. um, in Paris. And, um, Rodrigo then began to attend uh, composition classes taught by Ducat, And it was a very international group of students, including Manuel Ponce from
0: Mexico. Oh, and who? Yes, I, that was my, my <laughs> question. <laughs> who were their, yeah. their classmates? Can I ask you, could you uh, turn down the volume of your audio because I'm hearing my voice sometimes?
2: You're hearing? Okay. Yes, let's do oh. that.
1: Okay.
0: So that who, who were his classmates?
1: Well, he had uh, classmates from all over Europe, and from the Americas, um, but as I say, the most famous of his classmates, and the one uh, uh, name that we're likely to recognize is uh, Manuel Maria Ponte from Mexico, from, Mexico, from who had already been in Paris for some time studying, and was making a name for himself there. Um, I was in Zacatecas, uh, Mexico, a couple of years ago, and they have a, a Manuel Ponce museum because he was from that province. And uh, it's a wonderful museum. I love Zacatecas, but the, what I recall is that in this museum there was a picture of his composition uh, students with Paul Ducat in Paris. Um, in other words, Paul Dukas' composition *Class in Paris*, and there he is standing right next to uh, Rodrigo. So this is very interesting.
0: So one of her, his classmates was also Cecilia. Or well, it?
1: okay, so here's the here's the story. Um, uh, Rodrigo published a piece, uh, a piano piece, and. A young woman from Turkey named Victoria Kami read this piece, uh, played it and liked it very much, and she wanted to meet the composer. So um, there was a a social occasion, uh, and they were both there, and she was introduced to him.
0: So she first fell in love with his music? (laughs)
1: We, yes, right. She was very attracted to his music. And and I would, I would say that it was love at first sight, except that, well, in his case, not so much. But when you lose your eyesight, then your other senses become much more That's acute. Mm-hmm. And so there was something about her voice and the touch of her hand. And so and he, he felt an attraction to her. And of course, the fact that they had so much in common. He was a very accomplished pianist. He was a virtuoso pianist, and she was perhaps even better than he was. She was studying piano in Paris. She'd had a very international education, Mm -hmm. uh, was fluent in several languages. But the other thing about her that's interesting is that she came from a Sephardic family, a family of Sephardic Jews in Turkey. Mm -hmm. Also upper middle class, prosperous. They could afford, huh? Mm -hmm. Yes. And we recall that the Sephardic Jews had, uh, migrated across North Africa and into the Ottoman Empire after they were expelled from Spain in 1492. So he felt a strong connection with her that way, that culturally Judaism and Sephardic Judaism... He was Catholic,
0: I, I, I beg. He was.
1: He was raised in a Catholic, a Catholic family.
0: family. Does she speak Ladino?
1: Well, she... Uh, certainly was comfortable with it, and then she acquired Spanish. So there was that connection between them as well. It was linguistic, it was cultural, it was musical. Of course,
0: she fell in love first with his music. So that was a big, big uh, uh, thing that he gained because when she arrived that they met, she was already in love with his music.
1: That's that's a very important thing. And then at this party, she played the piano.
0: Oh, no, that was that the last thing. And you could hear
1: how um, accomplished she was. And uh, so that certainly uh, helped matters. She was born in 1905, so she was a little bit younger than he was. But anyway, they they fell in love right away. And after a a sort of turbulent courtship with its ups and downs, they were married in January of 1933. And they would spend the next 64 years uh, together, which is impressive.
0: I have a question, Dr. Clark. Yes. Uh, What were the first influences that he musical influences he had because how was the music his their, his first pieces or compositional works what were his influences the ones he wrote when he was 20 and then when he was married yes.
1: well the influences were formative one thing about about him that we note immediately from the very beginning is his attraction to music of the baroque period
0: and the music, uh, Spanish music
1: too. Yes, Spanish music, also French music. They um, French uh, keyboard composers, Couperin, in particular. Um, he was also very interested in the Spanish Renaissance. He became quite an expert on music for the for the vihuela, the guitar-like instrument of the Spanish Renaissance. He even transcribed some of that music for the for the piano. So he was very attracted to early music, what we would call early music, music before 1800, the Renaissance, especially of the Baroque, French uh, Baroque in particular, and um, also the 18th century, especially Scarlatti and Soler. Um,
0: So his his works were for piano mainly at that time?
1: Yes, his early works were for piano and they were actually evocations of of, uh, Baroque dances like the the um, the sarabande and uh, and um, minuet and so on. So he was a, attracted to early music, music from the, the period before 1800. Um,
0: and when did he started writing music for voice? At what point did Well, he his his it?
1: vocal works would would emerge later on in the 1930s, but um, his the other main attraction, the other main influence on him as a young composer in the 1920s was um, modern music, but French music, the music of neoclassicism in particular, music of Ravel, he liked, um, but also it's clear that... Uh, New developments uh, were influencing him, uh, neoclassicism and uh, Darius Mio and so on. And what do we associate with neoclassicism? Well, a similar sort of antiquarian interest, interest in music before 1800, but also um, certain techniques like bitonality and um, very colorful, uh, even at times harsh dissonances, and a certain playful sense of uh, irony and satire. Um,
0: so you said you're going back to the love story. They got married in 33. They went back to Valencia or how was it?
1: Well, they, they were comfortable in, uh, Paris. He, um, continued uh, studies there actually in music in music history. But yes, they went to Valencia, spent some time there. Um, they also, um, Spent time in Madrid, and enjoyed visiting historic sites around Madrid. Places like
0: and who supported them? how and they did say survive. I mean, how they did make their money to survive to music. Well, she
1: came from a from a wealthy family, and uh, his family fell on hard times during the depression. Um, so actually, money was a problem, um, and at one point. Uh, her mother came to Valencia, did not uh, approve of the circumstances in which she was living because of Rodrigo's family's uh, financial difficulties. So she actually took her back to Paris for a time, and they were separated. Not
0: to, not to Turkey, but to Paris.
1: But to Paris, no. And, um, but the other, uh, what I was saying is that they, they actually spent their sort of honeymoon in, in uh, Madrid, and they would visit historic sites near Madrid, including places like Segovia, which is so wonderful, but also an 18th century palace and gardens uh, called Aranjuez. Oh,
0: so now we're very close to the place. They
1: went to the the palace and gardens of um, Aranjuez and um, fell in love with that place. And later, uh, Rodrigo would uh, dedicate would name his uh, most famous work after that uh, after that lovely locale.
0: El concierto de Aranjuez, that because some and of for guitar and he, They probably yeah. don't know so that is his masterpiece or the one that is worldwide known, but he has many
1: yes. others. But he, that's exactly right. It's the. The shame is that, although that's a a marvelous work and so well-known, its fame has tended to put in the shade so many other wonderful works that he composed. Um, We know him for his guitar music. He had a rudimentary ability to play the guitar, but he wasn't himself a guitarist. And he depended on guitarists to to help him refine his works, but
0: so I but was wrote, thinking about that, that writing for a guitar has a special requirements. It has yes. a complexity that is completely different than the language he was used to, the, the language of the piano. So how he did it?
1: Well, exactly. Well, he was a quick study. He was a brilliant orchestrator, so he had no trouble uh, writing for other instruments, instruments he didn't play. He'd studied orchestration with Paul Ducat, and... Uh, and became a, a very effective and colorful orchestrator in his own right. So it it wasn't too much of a stretch to learn an instrument that he himself, learn how to write for an instrument that he himself did not play or play very well. Um, but in the history of the guitar, there before the 20th century, almost all composers. For the guitar were themselves guitarists. Going back to the 16th century, the Buellists like Luis de Milan and Narváez and Fueniana and Pisador and so on, they were all Buellists. And then in the 17th century, people like Gaspar Sanz, he was a guitarist, Fernando Sor was a guitarist, Aguado and um, Tarrega and so on, all had been guitarists and composed for their own instrument. But in the 20th century, André Segovia in particular, encouraged non-guitarist composers to write for the instrument. People like Porroba and Manuel de Falla composed a wonderful piece for the guitar. And also Joaquin Rodrigo wrote for the guitar.
0: So how um, he did it? He, encouraged by him, he, he asked friends or, or who were yes. guitarists to help him to.
1: Yes, and then they, they would work with him and say, well, no, you can't actually do that. Well, this will work. And, you can perhaps do it this way. And he continued that uh, practice right up through his uh, final guitar concerto in 1983, the Concierto para una Fiesta. And, and he worked with Pepe Romero, who, for, to whom it's dedicated and uh, who gave the premiere. Um, he worked with him uh, on that uh, extremely difficult piece.
0: So um, when was the Concierto de Aranjuez debuted and uh, where? I, I I think it was here in Barcelona at the Palau?
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, he began work on it in 1938 and finished work in 1939. Um, he wrote it uh, for a, a very uh, a great virtuoso man named Regino Sainz de la Mata, who had asked oh, well, him... Regino was,
0: both- was a Catalan guy or no? Was from another part of... Spain or who? What? Well,
1: from another part of Spain, but he had met with Rodrigo in 1938 and encouraged him to write a, a guitar concerto, which was a novelty. Um, in earlier periods, in the classical period, Mauro Giuliani had written guitar concertos, but in the 20th century, he um, people didn't generally didn't write guitar concertos because they thought that there would be just too many balance problems. The orchestra would overwhelm the instrument. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, uh, Rodrigo accepted the challenge and began work on his, uh, guitar concerto in 1938 and finished it in 1939. It premiered at the Palau de la Musica Catalana in oh. Barcelona in 1940 with um, Science de la Mata as soloist, um, and it was very well received and was basically the work that established his reputation as a leading composer in Spain. By this time, by 1939, he and his wife, um, Vicky, had settled in Madrid, and that's where they would spend the rest of their lives. They traveled a lot. But
0: so now they, I want I will stop use Dr. Clark. Yes, sorry, because there are singers here coming. and
1: singers want to know about so his voice.
0: Singers want to know about his vocal works, because I know yes. the Pardic songs and many other song cycles that are very beautiful. So when he did he started writing for voice?
1: So
2: <clears throat>
1: he had this great uh, love of literature. And um, so it, it simply made sense that he would um, write songs and uh, eventually choral works. Um, and he collaborated with Vicky Andes. She would write poems or um, arrange texts uh, for his use. Now, I want to, um, we're going to look at, at three characteristic works that demonstrate the close relationship between um, Vicky and Joaquin, not just as lovers, as a married couple, as parents, but also um, as collaborators. She played such a crucial role in his career. And also because,
0: I mean, probably being him uh, blind, so she could, I mean, be closer helping or collaborating in many things.
1: Absolutely. Now, I want to make... uh, your, um, viewers and listeners aware of a book by, um, Suzanne Rhodes Dreyer, uh, oh, this what is her seminal book, A Singer's Guide to the Songs of Joaquin Rodrigo, uh, published by Scarecrow Press in 1999. And, uh, so most of the information that, uh, I rely on in my, uh, in my work, um, comes from, from this book, which provides the texts and transliterations and guides to pronunciation and the basic, you know, genesis. So, and Singers history, of the and world, love.
0: now you know. There is yes. a book called A Singer's Guide to the Songs of Joaquin Rodrigo by Suzanne Rhodes-Wright, who is, yes. of, uh, is a friend of us. A She's partner. a friend of I will invite her someday to talk about yes. this. It would be Very nice, but, so there is a resource where you can find the text and all the, um, I imagine there is also the source of how to find the, or where is the cheat music to find it in case you need it?
1: Well, yes. Now, the fortunate thing is this. In 1941, uh, Joaquin and Vicky welcomed into the world a baby daughter and named her, wait for it, Cecilia. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's what I confused at the beginning. I said Cecilia because I yes. didn't hear Cecilia well, Rodrigo.
1: No, that's right. And Cecilia Rodrigo um, has uh, carried on and pre- preserved and promoted the legacy of her father. She is the director of the Fundación uh, Victoria y Joaquín Rodrigo in Madrid.
0: That's right. So nice that the Fundación has both of their names. It has
1: both her names because we acknowledge the important role that Victoria played in this whole history. Um, I have come to think that without her, that we don't have, without Victoria, we don't have Joaquin. (laughs) Um, That may or may not be true, but that's what I've come to believe. So she played a very crucial role in his career, and we include her in this narrative. The...
0: So the vocal you said that she wrote some of the poems and yes. she set to music these poems, or for example, for the Sephardic songs that are imagine is an homage to the background of Victoria's because yeah. of background and family. So Well, here's
1: know. the so she would either maybe r- write poems or arrange texts or translate texts um, for his use. And the first song we're going to listen to is a delightful work. Um, she wrote a poem and he set it to music and it's called uh, La cancion del cuckoo. Now it, it turns out that um, in 1937, they were actually living in uh, Freiburg, Germany at an institute for the blind there and he would give concerts and teach lessons and compose and so on. He was a guest of the Institute. And they would take long walks through the Black Forest, the Schwarzwald, which was alive with the song of the resident cuckoo birds. Now, he had actually been attracted to the cuckoo before this uh, because you have evocations of the cuckoo in uh, French Baroque keyboard music and so on. And there are a number of uh, orchestral works that evoke the cuckoo. Um, I'm thinking of Delius's on um, hearing the first cuckoo in spring. But uh, he and Victoria love the this, this song of the cuckoo bird, which is a, a descending third. I've read that as the bird gets older, it can even be a descending fourth. So it's a descending minor third or major third, and maybe even a descending fourth. But this song, this it's more of a motive than a song, appears in a, a number of later works. But uh, this is a, a wonderful manifestation of their mutual love of the cuckoo. Um,
0: so let's hear to that song. Who is yes, Martinez, and, Ana Maria Martinez?
1: OK, so we're hearing here the voice of Ana Maria Martinez, and she is being accompanied at the piano by uh, Albert Vinovar. And I just wanted to say, so people know what they're listening to, the text expresses Victoria's longing to return home to Spain.
0: We just heard Ana Maria Martinez singing an Albergino Bart on the piano, singing the Cancion del Cucu by Joaquin Rodrigo and Victoria Cami. So it was very nice to hear the cuckoo, cuckoo. Yes. Piano.
1: It's unmistakable. <laughs> it yes. persists throughout the, it's like an ostinato figure. It persists through the whole piece. No mistaking it. So he
0: also wrote this Sephardic co- collection, the, the, the song cycle of Sephardic songs. So which one, or what would you uh, tell especially from this song cycle?
1: Well, okay, so these are anonymous texts that were adapted by Victoria for his use, and these premiered in 1965. So um, we're a few uh, decades um, further along here. Rodrigo himself said of this cycle, since my wife was born in Turkey and was of Sephardic origin, I have always been attracted to the music of Sephardic uh, culture, since this culture forms part of Spanish tradition and cultural history, which is well known to me. Um,
0: what uh, what caused my attention is that the songs uh, that he, he created are, More of arrangements of songs that are already part of the oral tradition of the Sephardic song repertoire. Those songs Mm -hmm. have been arranged by many composers, many of those same melodies.
2: Yes, so
1: these are anonymous texts that she adapted for his use.
0: And all the melodies, not only the text, I mean the, the melodies.
1: Well, yes, and the other thing I wanted to point out to everyone, to our viewers and listeners, is that they had a mm, these two great faith traditions, Catholicism and Judaism under one roof. How did they negotiate that? Well, he was not so doctrinaire and rigid in his beliefs that he couldn't uh, accept her faith tradition and vice versa they would go to mass together and then they would go to synagogue together
0: um the this the daughter i mean the lineage of in judaism is provided by the woman the mother yeah. so the, the, the cecilia well, is technically uh, is jewish
1: technically I, she's a very good friend of mine and i've done a lot of work at the uh, archive of the fundacion in in uh, madrid which has a wonderful facility and anyone wanting to do original research on uh, rodrigo will Um, want to go there. Speaking of meccas, that's the mecca for Rodrigo research. Um, They also maintain the couple's apartment, as it was, with their books and the piano and uh, all sorts of things, the awards that uh, he won. But the point I'm making is that, yes, technically, I suppose that, uh, even though I've never discussed it with her, um, Cecilia would be be Jewish because her mother was Jewish. It's matrilineal. Mm
0: -hmm. Exactly. So... Uh, so we will go back to these Sephardic songs. That is a nice song. All yes. that is also published, which is good for the singers and to know.
1: There are four of these, cuatro canciones uh, okay. I
0: and from, oh, really? Remember, and, I sung some. Oh, I do. At, and uh, of course,
1: you you sing them beautifully.
0: In at UCR.
1: Yes, and this one is entitled uh, "Morena." Um, me llaman.
0: There are many, uh, many arrangements, but many different composers. At least seven different composers that I have in my collection have arranged this morena, morenica. Because that's me really oh, sí. I
2: did not
1: know
0: that. Sí, sí.
1: Well, this
0: shall one we... is a beautiful one. It's so Ana María or... Martínez again and alberguino Bar yes. in morena me llaman by Joaquín Rodrigo. you Just heard of uh, an excerpt of this Morena Me llaman, very interesting version, and sung by Ana Maria Martinez and Alberto Novart. So uh, he also has some songs for voice and guitar, Las Canciones Españolas, or they were not grouped as a cycle but they were published as a cycle later on, or how is that?
1: Uh, yes, well. <clears throat> his uh, ongoing fascination with the human voice and with literature and the guitar all came together and uh, i think um this is uh, something we could explore at a, a later date I, I
0: there is a beautiful uh, recording of um placido domingo ah, yes singing with manuel berrueco
1: Manuel Barroico, the Manuel great American guitarist. Uh, yeah.
0: Yes, they singing the Adela, the Ronda, some of yes. uh, Joaquin Rodrigo songs for voice and guitar that are very nice too. And, and, and also I think you feel the Renaissance influence, Renaissance music influence mm. in those compositions.
1: Yes, what we have in so much of perhaps the majority of Rodrigo's works is this combination of historicism of his antiquarian interest in early music with a 20th century language that's grounded in tonality but at the same time makes use of of uh, strident dissonance um, for instance in one of his uh, early pieces he resorts to by tonality the left hand plays in one key and the right hand plays in a key a half step apart
0: oh, God. from the
1: left hand so he liked uh, to experiment with uh, dissonance, with uh, bitonality, and so on. But these uh, dissonances are are um, coloristic in nature, and they never threaten the fundamentally tonal nature of his uh, so language. Yeah,
0: so, Doctor, I think, I, I think we have inspired singers and musicologists, and pianists and musicians in general to just go and look for the music of Joaquín Rodrigo. That's the goal and hopefully perform it. Um, uh, This year we are celebrating an anniversary of Joaquin Rodrigo, am I right? Or last year we were 21. His
1: life was so eventful, almost any year you choose could be (laughs) an anniversary of some kind. Um, 2021 was the 120th anniversary of his birth.
0: So that's an anniversary, okay. singers. Yeah, or is.
1: We're in 2021 right now. Uh, last year, 2020, was the um, 80th anniversary of the premiere of the Aranjuez Concerto. Um, the year before that was the 80th anniversary of its completion. So, <laughs> what does it say? You can pick a year. So any we year. you have many
0: excuses for performing the music. Yes, of
1: absolutely.
0: And to, for hearing it, every day is a good day.
1: Do we have time for one more song or no?
0: Uh, no, we don't have time for more songs, but we have time. I mean, I, I, we cannot show this part of uh, time, 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I think now this and the musicians are inspired to get to know more Rodrigo, Joaquin Rodrigo, and to, uh, I hope, by your biography as soon as it is published, because now we are curious about knowing all these facts. Yes.
1: And I want people to be aware of this 21-CD set that contains the complete works of Rodrigo. This gives you some idea of how much music the man composed. He wrote about 200 works for the stage, for film. He wrote film scores. He composed for the piano, for orchestra, for choir, for solo voice, uh, for guitar. Uh, chamber music it's it's really quite extraordinary um, how much great music the man I'm so, uh, uh, watching the
0: label in which this this um,
1: okay so this is a, a this. brilliant classics label
0: okay.
1: um, 21 cds It contains 21 cds flavors.
0: so yes I mean
1: he wrote wonderful world, symphonic music. not
0: really get to know Joaquin Rodrigo the music is recorded, the biography is about to be published. And right. so we are very happy that we at least scratched the surface, that we are the tip of the iceberg of Joaquin Rodrigo today. So I hope we awoke the curiosity of people. Um, well,
1: there's a saying in Chinese a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. So if we took that primer paso today, fine.
0: So, so today is the primer paso yes the first no. so only i want to remind people that this program is brought to you thanks to the barcelona festival of song a summer program of latin american and iberian art song where you can also study joaquin rodrigo's music and also is brought to you thanks to mundo arts publications a, a, a publisher devoted to the vocal music of Latin America and the Iberian Peninsula and thanks to the Center for the Iberian and Latin American Music of the University of California, Riverside, where mm. Dr. Walter Clark is the director. And it does mm. the place for the students or, or musicians who want to be get a PhD in musicology specializing in this yes. music. So now you know. and and I want to invite you first of all to subscribe to this podcast to be ready to hear the next episode on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and share this podcast with your friends and send us messages if you want to hear about specific things related to the Latin American and Iberian art song world and of course Thank you very much, Dr. Walter Clark. This is not mm. adios, this is an hasta luego, because you this will be many more times here talking about many other composers.
2: Hasta la
1: próxima vez. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, and i look forward to future encuentros.
0: Muchas gracias, Dr. Clark. Adios.
1: No hay de qué. Adios.